shit. Make him laugh, make him laugh. Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather. In the end, you just want to know that laughing matters. From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500, humor makes the world go round. You didn't know? It's a fit for a throw, like a roll with spaghetti. To keep your culture light when times are heavy. So sit back and relax as you raise the bar. When it all comes down to the ha, ha, ha. Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh. Welcome to Laughing Matters, a podcast like no other you'll hear, and, and you'll be glad there's no other like this one. Uh, with Laughing Matters, we explore the power of humor and laughter in a world sorely lacking both, and also how leaders from all walks of life use humor to take the edge off. I am your co-host, Steve Cody. I happen to be CEO of Peppercom. And I'm joined, as always, by my lovely and talented co-host, Paul Mershon, the Merchant of Raleigh. How are you doing today, Paul? Oh, Steve, I'm great. Uh, It's so nice for you to call me lovely. I don't think I've had that accolade in a very long time. Makes me feel like like I'm young at heart. Um, But I'm doing well in Raleigh. Actually, I was just uh, noticing that the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service called this the hottest summer on record for like the whole world. Um, but Laughing Matters as well brings in the heat. Wouldn't you agree? I, I would say it's the opposite. We cool off. We we chill. Okay. We chill. Yeah. We're, we're we do chill. chill. Yeah. We do chill. We always go the opposite way. When they when they go high, no, when they go low, we go high or something <laughs> to that effect. When they go hot, we go cool. So um, enough about you and me, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, our guest today is a human resource expert. And professes that, quote, we are on the front lines of a people revolution, end quote, that employees are in the driver's seat and will not stand for working in conditions that won't allow them to thrive. She's the CEO and founder of Turning the Corner LLC, which helps transform workplace cultures to retain talent, increase productivity and build confident leaders. Boy, I could use a lot of that help. As part of her role, she has delivered keynote messages across various events using real-world examples and valuable lessons that showcase both successes and failures. I've known both. Her philosophy is, quote, we give up the best hours of our days and years of our lives for work, and we should love our jobs, end quote. Amen to that. And finally, I had the distinct pleasure of recently being a guest on her podcast, how I turned the corner. I am beyond pleased to now introduce and have her as a guest on Laughing Matters. Please welcome Kendra Prospero. Ah, thanks so much, Steve and Paul. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, you'll regret it. Trust me. <laughs> so I wanted to kick this off by uh, by asking you this one. Uh, you earned your degree in computer information systems and then spent your early career years working for HP and IBM. Um, seems like a stark difference from what you do now at turning the corner. Can you tell our listeners how you decided that you needed to be on the front lines of the people revolution? And if you could just give us a little bit more explanation in terms of the people revolution and the role you and your firm are playing. Yeah. So honestly, ever since I was a little girl, I mean, four or five years old, I have been curious about the work people do and why. I mean, my favorite book was Richard Scarry's What Do People Do All Day? (laughs) (laughs) And so, and then I remember being about eight or nine years old and um, helping my parents with a dinner party. I think I was handing out gin martinis, actually. 
I mean, it was the 80s, right? And I remember going to all the grownups and asking them, what do you do? And why do you do it? And do you love it? <laughs> and so naturally, I started collecting all this information about why people love and hate a job. And when it came time for me to go to college, it was just completely illogical to get a computer information systems degree. I don't know why I did it, <laughs> but I did. And But all along the lines, I was always still curious about the work people did and why they did it. And so even at IBM, when I was more on the technical side, I would get in conversation with people about why they were doing what they were doing. <clears throat> and I just sort of developed this reputation for being someone that people could come to to get career advice. And so finally, <laughs> in 2011, a friend of mine kind of kicked me in the pants and said, you got to go do this as a as a living to open up a business and that was really what started turning the corner that that's huge i mean that is that is seismic so um i know we this is, this is not something that you were prepared to answer but what were the first six months 12 months like what were your expectations in terms of being a freshly minted entrepreneur well, it was interesting. The first thing I did after I got my EIN number, which is when you sort of technically own a business, right? I mean, that's the easiest part. Now you got to go get customers. And so the first thing I did is I sent an email to everyone I knew that were my fans, you know, my friends and like vendors I'd worked with at IBM and just people that I knew. And what was shocking is that I basically sent an email out and said, this is what I think I'm going to do. I'd love for you to be on, your, on the lookout for opportunities for recruiting and training and so on and so forth. And within two hours, I had like 10 leads. And so it was a sign that I was definitely on, had been seen by my colleagues and my friends in this light all these years. And so that ended up turning into my first major, you know, five figure check. I was actually the next Monday on an airplane to Chicago to teach a class. And that was really my seed money. And then I just proceeded to do everything I could to connect with, uh, connect with people and serve them and help them. And within nine months, I hit six figures and I was able to start adding to the team at that point. So I never wanted to work alone. I've never wanted to be a solopreneur. I love leading. I love man I love managing people. Um, and I really wanted to have my own team and really experiment with what are the what do you need to do as a leader to create the conditions for people to thrive? I wanted to be that kind of petri dish at inside turning the corner and figure that if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? And so that was really my ultimate goal was to get a team that I could keep, you know, you know, serve our customers really deeply, but also know that we're doing, we're able to make it work too, inside yeah. turning the corner. And the people's revolution, I'm sorry, Paul, and the people's revolution yeah. in a couple of sentences? Well, about <clears throat> in 2015, I predicted that there was going to come a time in the future where people were no longer going to tolerate working for companies that didn't care for them and take care of them. And that there would be a time when there would be a mass exodus and a mass movement of people in and out of jobs. And sure enough, 2021, we had the great resignation. The quiet quit has been around forever. People have always been disengaged at that's work. Right. So that wasn't, that was just a marketing term, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's mm -hmm. been around forever. And so we're here now. And I deeply believe that the companies that do not change the way they lead and change the way they treat their people are not going to survive. They have to change. And so that's what the people revolution is. And we're here to help those companies change it because it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you called it. That That's that's amazing. And, and that, thank you for sharing all of your successes, Kendra. I mean, you you were doing it that's from the age of eight, serving like, you know, gin, gin tonic survey. Like I was 
I think I was like maybe playing Super Mario World at the age of eight, but you're already like being so successful. So uh, great to hear all of that, those stories and what you're doing right now with your organization, with um, with with the folks that you that you lead and how I turned a corner is really uh, inspiring as well. Uh, transforming workplace cultures. And I wanted to ask you, with all the work that you've done, all the organizations that you've worked with, um, what's the one component that you've commonly seen is is always missing or for the most part missing when it comes to workplace culture? So we analyzed with, we do a lot of work with job seekers as well and track all the reasons why they love or hate a job. There are 10 fundamental reasons that people hate a job and it all comes down to one thing, a poorly trained manager. Mm -hmm. So I would say that at a starting point, you've got to train your managers and leaders to care and they've got to know what they're doing to care. So you've got to know how to manage people the right way, not micromanaging them and not leaving them alone. Like that doesn't work. You've got to know how to help them deal with their emotions and flare ups and relationships. That's part of your job as a manager and a leader. You've got to also be really clear in giving them feedback or what we say is feed forward. Don't give them feedback and tell them what they did wrong. Tell them what you would like them to do different in the future. Um, and then also how to set the goals so that the organization is moving in the right direction and that that individual is performing that way. And then also getting what they need out of the job. And then, of course, you know, the basics of just being brought into a company that you align with, with based on values and the work itself and the lifestyle of the job and then, you know, pro being properly onboarded. Those are all basic management skills, but it comes down and filter or funnels down into caring for your employees. And that is really the linchpin. When you care for people, they care for you. When you care for people, they look for revenue opportunities and ways to reduce costs and ways to be better as a customer in, in customer service. And they're easier to manage and they're they're better to they're they're better teammates. Like everybody wins when people feel cared for and they like their job. They feel content. I I, I love feed forward as opposed to feedback. Have you service marked yeah. that? I mean, that's that's a, <laughs> that's a keeper. That's a keeper. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we teach it in our classes. And so just a much more gen gentler, but yet more effective way to get people to do what you want them to do. Yeah, no, I get it. That's that's amazing. Let's let's go back, though, as opposed to forward. Um, we know that you grew up on the stage or you've told us that. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what you learned from growing up on stage and why there is a performative aspect to cultivating a healthy workplace? Well, yeah, I I mean, I my first recital or my first performance was when I was two. Oh, and I got out on the wow. stage and I guess I looked, they, they flipped the lights on because all of us littles on the on the stage where they were afraid we were going to fall off the stage. So they flipped the overhead lights on and my, my, my mom said I looked out at that audience and saw all those people and just lit up. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so since that day, I would pretty much do anything I could to be on stage. <clears throat> and so I'm a classically trained pianist. I did musical theater. I sing. I dance. I would do whatever. And so I tried to make it on Broadway. I was in your neighborhood, Steve, for the summer between my junior and senior year, and I didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized that um, I I still you know have that as a passion and it's something I love to do. But I wasn't really that good at it. And so um, so how this the stage has helped me now and performing in general is I think kind of in the art of ad living, you know, and the art of a lot of what you teach in terms of just you know, really doing using improv to handle everyday situations. And believe me, like I eat problems for breakfast, lunch and dinner in HR. Right. <laughs> and so so I have to be able to, like, you know, really adapt quickly. And 
be able to, um, you know, help people and then also serve the business. Like that's the balance with HR is people and business results and constantly staying in balance. And so believe me, I've heard some crazy stories that I've been able to maybe quickly diffuse through a little bit of humor um, or just through some logic sometimes. <laughs> and so I really feel like my performance background has helped a lot in just those those um, everyday conversations that are just surprising. Like every day I think I've heard it all and then I hear something else and I'm like, I haven't heard it all yet. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that within HR, I mean, you're, you're, always, you're always having to manage problems. When you think of HR, typically you don't see it as a career that involves the use of a lot of humor. There's so many like, serious aspects to, aspects to it, having difficult conversations and things like that. So I wanted to ask you, uh, based on your experience, can you give us an example of the best use of humor or comedy that you've seen from an HR department or professional, uh, if it surprised you at all? And this could be from you or it could be from someone you've worked with as well. Yeah, mostly I think HR people are fairly humorless. I agree with you. So um, we really aim to kind of change the way HR is done. And matter of fact, we don't even like calling it human resources. I mean, first of all, when was the last time you used human in a sentence, right? I mean, we're going to have some humans over for dinner tonight. We can't say that, right? If you say people or friends or neighbors or colleagues, like you give them a different label. Um, and then resources. I mean, it's like dirt or oil, right? I mean, it's not a good title. And so I think by just the nature of even the words that are used to describe it, it just creates kind of a humorless environment. And so we really like to try to live in the gray and what we do and not in the black and white, which is what's typically done in HR. And so I would say in kind of more, you know, a little bit of a scenic journey in terms of my answer there, I think that that's what needs to change is human resources needs to have more of a sense of humor and needs to be bringing in a little bit more brevity and lightness because joy is the essence of engagement, right? Joy and happiness and contentment are the essence of a good culture. And so if human resources is going to have that be delegated to them, then by all means, let's change it and call it our heart rate. You know, it's the lifeblood of our organizations. Wow, you are a walking, talking soundbite. This is great <laughs> stuff. This is great stuff, Kendra. Seriously, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really. This is awesome stuff. So, um, today's um, business leader, uh, the C-suite, who uh, pick, pick whoever you want. Obviously, you know, there's a political, there's a religious, but, but looking at business leaders today. Um, do you think they're finally waking up to the power of self-deprecating humor, vulnerability, empathy? Um, you know, you don't certainly don't see it in Silicon Valley with people who shall remain nameless. You don't see it on Wall Street with people who shall remain nameless. But you are seeing it elsewhere. Um, so what's your take on on the the typical CEO and how she he feels about being a little bit more open, a little bit more authentic, and perhaps finding the right way to use humor in the workplace culture? Well, I really I almost think if you were to imagine a battlefield and really the front lines of this people revolution, it's those leaders that are on the front lines that are leading it. And um, I mean, it takes a lot of bravery and a lot mm -hmm. of um, vulnerability to be on a front line of anything. 
And so I, I think it's the leaders that are in the back or, you know, really going to be left in the trenches or I don't have enough, you know, war analogies to probably support this, but um, <laughs> just it's those leaders that don't adapt that are actually not going to survive. And so what's been amazing, so coming from IBM and Hewlett Packard, you know, these big humongous organizations where I was working on international teams, I was not here locally at all in Colorado. And when I opened up my business and I suddenly had to be part of my community, I was shocked at what it was like to be an entrepreneur and a leader here in Colorado. You guys wouldn't believe this. I would go into rooms of strangers and people would say, so what do you do? And I tell them and they'd be like, well, what do you need? And I was like, what do you mean? Like cash? I don't know. What are you saying? Like, I didn't even understand that because it was so far removed from my kind of global experience. But what they really meant is we're here to serve you. And that has been my experience as an entrepreneur in Colorado. I am surrounded by the most amazing CEOs and leaders who are truly these heart-led leaders who, who are on the front lines with me and are out there to do the best that, you know, be the best leaders we can be because we all see it. And so I really think in this case, you know, a lot of things go from the coasts in, you know, fashion trends and other things. I think this leadership trend is going to go from the center out this time around, because I do think Colorado is especially like you want to do business somewhere, do it here because you will be yeah. amazed at what it's like. And so that's, again, a little bit of a longer winded answer. But I think these leaders like you and I, Steve, you know, as our conversation earlier, like we are the types of people that are going to change the culture of companies, but it's going to go slow. I think that's great. I, well, you, you, you called it as, as, as far as the, the workplace culture and you know, how we would start to see that, uh, that twist. So now you're calling this that, uh, sort of the, uh, the, the mountain area, middle America might be the start of some of these trends going outwards. So we'll revisit this in a couple of years, Kendra, and see if you were right. Yeah, we'll that'd be back, great. Bring you back <laughs> on the podcast and see, uh, but, uh, a couple of last questions for you. Wanted to see if you could share with us your most embarrassing or cringeworthy story from your personal professional life that now you can kind of look back and laugh about. Oh gosh, this is the best one. You guys will love this. Okay, so if you can imagine me, um, I'm on my first keynote stage. I am getting ready to deliver my kind of my very first to my first big audience. Well, I have a microphone pack on my tucked into the back of my dress, the little you know lavalier here. I'm up giving this a message. This was actually where I called and, pre and predicted the people revolution. And then all of a sudden the mic goes out, the battery pack dies. And so they race up on stage, perfect timing. Actually, I was getting ready to do an activity with the audience. They race up on stage, they change the battery pack out, they clip it back on and then go back off. And all of a sudden I can feel the microphone pack dropping down behind me. <laughs> and halfway through my speech, it lands between my legs on the floor. <laughs> and here was my classic ad lib moment. I said, well, at least it wasn't a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure the audience, I'm sure the audience loved it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like, what are you going to do? Right. Things just go wrong. <laughs> that's that. That's beautiful. And we've all had experiences. Maybe not that stark, but that is amazing. Yeah. So I want to do um, wrap up and we could go for another hour, obviously, but um, just looking at at um, those organizations that do embrace humor and laughter, and it doesn't have to be three, but you know what what are some of the benefits, the greatest benefits, the most important benefits to those organizations that do embrace laughter, humor, and make it safe to you know to employ those those tools? Well, we, I think we all can feel this. When you create an environment where people feel safe, like you said a second ago, 
that sparks so much good stuff. That's when innovation happens. That is when um, when people can feel comfortable saying, I made a mistake and how can I fix it? That's where you know good customer service comes in. Um, I think when you have employee situations, when they're not stressed, they team better. They're better together. And in the, in the long run, when you have more innovation, you have better teaming, you have better customer sat, what benefits? Profitability, right? Profitability is what benefits. And no one is tying culture back to profit. And so that's where I think humor comes into play is because when we can create an environment that's got a little bit more brevity and levity to it, people feel safe. They feel like they can be their whole person. And that's when the best things happen inside companies. And I've Amen. experienced that, it, turning the corner. I mean, my team is, um, our team is absolutely amazing. You can't believe the work we get done and the customer sat we have because, because of our just, you know, I guess, com comfort with each other. And it's a lot to do with the space I create as the CEO. I create that environment partially. Yeah. It's, you know, it's more than just me for sure, but. Yeah, no, of course. No, that that's a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, obviously. A to be having this conversation with you, and and uh, you know, kudos to you, A for being a futurist. Um, that's uh, you might want to add that to your bio. <laughs> you are a futurist. You know, there's no question about it. Um, I can't thank you enough. If our listeners, and by the way, we're up to four. All of Paul's children are now listening to the podcast. So if, my kids too. They're six. Oh, great. Okay. So if, our, <laughs> if our ten listeners want to get in touch with you, is it turningthecorner.com? You know, it's not. It was too expensive. It's uh, turningthecornerllc.com. Got it. Yep. Got it. Well, Kendra, I cannot thank you enough. I mean, a it was it was um, enlightening. B, it was fun. And C, uh, Paul usually writes the intros for these podcasts. Mm -hmm. You have so many sound bites to work with here, Paul. Oh, no. It'll be easy to come up with an intro with this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, I just want to thank you so much, Kendra, for spending, you know, a half an hour with us. And um, let's keep the conversation going. Let's help each other. And boy, I would love to meet you live and in person very, very soon. Let's do it. I'd love that. Thank you, Steve. Right. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate both of you. Thanks, Kendra. It's signing off on behalf of Steve and the cast of Laughing Matters. Join us next time. Thank you all for listening.